Controversy over Governor Bill Lee's school vouchers legislation and its rollout and a discussion on a recent rash of lawsuits facing the legislature and the new governor. Welcome to Grand Divisions. This is the week of February 17th. I'm Joel Ebert. And I'm Natalie Allison. Joining us today, we've got uh, Jason Gonzalez, our education reporter, uh, to kind of go over a significant discussion that happened in the legislature uh, last week. Jason, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. So we want to talk about uh, the controversy surrounding the rollout of implementation of uh, the governor's school voucher, a.k.a. education savings account program. Um, So we learned late last year that uh, the Department of Education had found an outside vendor, as they expected to do, um, to administer the program, both the applications for families who are trying to receive this this $7,7300, whatever, per student to go to private schools, um, as well as dispersing those funds themselves. Um, So tell us a little bit about that contract and why there are um, concerns, controversy, questions surrounding um, whether the Department of Ed went about obtaining it the right way. Right. So like you said, Class Wallet will um, help oversee the education savings account program, dispersing funds uh, and making sure that uh, that that money is used correctly by by parents. The controversy first came up uh, after reports about the RFP process, and uh, Democrats really uh, brought that up within a committee where the rules around the education savings account program were going to be approved, um, I think it was a couple weeks ago. Representative Mike Stewart at the time uh, questioned whether or not that process was went about correctly and, and why there wasn't a another any other bid sought for it. Um, he also brought into question the amount of the contract, which uh, within the first year, according to the department, it'll cost $1.2 million dollars. Uh, which is more than what uh, lawmakers had had put aside, which is about seven hundred and seventy one thousand to uh, get the program moving. Yeah. So so these questions around how the Department of Education went about um, securing this what critics are calling a no bid contract um, ha- sort of led to this this House hearing um, that occurred last week in the, the House Appropriations Subcommittee, which is a subcommittee of the Finance Committee. Um, where where Commissioner Penny Schwinn, she's the department's commissioner, as well as others from the department and even other agencies like the um, Finance and Administration. And I don't remember if the Comptroller's office was there as well. Perhaps uh, Fiscal Review was there. Um, they all were essentially grilled on how this um, how this whole thing played out with Class Wallet getting this contract. Um, it's two and a half million dollars over the course of two years to administer the state's ESA program when no other companies were offered that opportunity. Um, the, the cost of this program, this third party vendor being more than what the legislature um, set aside for it. Uh, the legislature's fiscal review committee in office uh, learned about this from based on testimony last week from a news story back in the fall. Um, 
according to uh, the chairman of that subcommittee, Matthew Hill, he said that the fiscal review committee had been reaching out, he says, for months to the Department of Education asking, you know, about the status of this contract and and that he claims the Department of Education didn't respond at all to those um, attempts to get information about it. And he... Um, he assigned Commissioner Schwinn uh, some homework in the week between the last hearing and the one coming up um, this Wednesday to to show that show documentation that the department did all due diligence um, to ensure that no other company um, could have met the the demands they needed for the contract. Um, so, Joel, maybe you can talk about what sort of all of these questions mean or don't mean for the rollout of the ESA program. Where where are we now? Uh, it still seems a bit uncertain. We heard from the governor's office that they plan on still sticking to uh, the current timeline, which would be rolling it out this fall uh, for the upcoming school year. Um, initially, uh, Representative Jeremy Faison, who was in the committee and uh, at one point said that he regretted voting for this legislation, which was really um, uh, unnerving, I think, for some who supported the legislation. Um, he said that he didn't think this would be rolled out this fall. Um, he later semi walked that comment back after he got, I would assume, uh, a, a, you know, a, a, a talking to uh, from the governor's office. Um, but right now, I, I think there are a lot of questions. And, and we've heard uh, House Speaker Cameron Sexton raise questions about whether they're, they're, the rollout should occur. At the same time, we are hearing from uh, both the House Speaker and the Lieutenant Governor's office that there isn't going to be any legislation to sort of of uh, pump the brakes on the implementation. So uh, unless there is some kind of major other development with this, it wouldn't be shocking if the governor's office gets what it wants uh, and, and rolls it out by this fall. Yeah, it doesn't seem like there's any clear way they could um, halt the implement implementation of this um, this fall. At the same time, if there's more fire where there's already some smoke, uh, you can certainly see there would certainly. be ad additional calls. Yeah, so so Jeremy Faison, who is is also the the chairman of the House Republican Caucus, said he called the the program that its rollout the vote sketchy. He said um, it appears to be sketchy and and potentially nefarious um, in the eyes of the public. He. He, uh, he he said something about uh, you know don't don't pee on my leg and tell me it's, it's warm raining. rain, um, essentially saying that the, you know the Department of Education isn't maybe fully being uh, transparent or forthcoming about how these things are happening, um, and 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 really the department faced a grilling from from him and from Faison and Matthew Hill. Whether that amounts to anything, I don't know. We also have seen in the last uh, week or so uh, the Speaker of the House um, sponsor legislation along with Senator Todd Gardenhire that would uh, prevent um, the Department of Education or any other state department from um, securing these contracts without any kind of legislative oversight through the Fiscal Review Committee. Of course, Jason, um, in, in a larger context, the, this is not the only issue facing the department right now, right? We've got, uh, there are concerns that some people have expressed over, um, y you know, just hiring or, or, or current employment practices within the department. Um, you know, there's been a rash of departures right. of 
right. course, you've also got, um, you know, just the general concerns about, I think, from Democrats and, and education organizations that the money that the governor's office is calling for isn't necessarily going to uh, go directly towards teacher raises. Um, so just in, in a larger context, I mean, since you've been covering education here, have you seen the department face this kind of scrutiny before? I think the only other time that the departments face this kind of scrutiny is over T and Ready. Um, and the last time legislators really uh, got the commissioner before them and, and grilled her was, uh, I, I would say, about two years ago when T and Ready just, you know, it, it was it was having a bunch of problems over multiple years. And, and lawmakers wanted question, or answers, and they wanted their questions answered from the commissioner. Uh, she sat before them, and I think it was about a two-hour process that they went through. And I don't think even coming out of that, they were uh, uh, too impressed. So they, they wanted more. Uh, that was the last time that I've seen lawmakers really go through this kind of questioning and this this in-depth look into what's going on in the department. So the the Appropriations Committee is going to have Penny Schwen and her crew back again this week uh, for part two of that uh, hearing. I'm not sure if it'll be another grilling. It, it very well could be. Um, and, and we'll see what comes out in that. We will see what transpires with um, with Sexton and Garden Hires legislation. Uh, and certainly if there is any more uh, fires that come up that could potentially derail or delay the rollout of the controversial voucher program. Uh, so we'll see if other people speak up like Faison and say they, they regret their vote on it um, and whether that would make a difference. But anyway, thanks, Jason, for coming on. Thank you for having me. This week on the podcast, we have Tennessee investigative reporter Adam Tamarin joining us. Adam and Joel had a story that just published this week, taking a look at the number of lawsuits the state has faced under Governor Bill Lee, as opposed to former Governor Bill Haslam, um, how those numbers compare and why Tennessee is facing uh, potentially an increasing number of lawsuits over legislation and what those two governors have and haven't done um, to try to put a stop to legislation that they anticipate is going to uh, result in lawsuits being filed against the state. So why don't you catch us up on what that story is, what uh, made you guys think to do it, and then what you found. So, Adam, first, congrats on your new job. Uh, last he was on the podcast, he was our uh, justice reporter. So. You never know around here. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the latest push, essentially over the last year, um, I had been filing away a bunch of court case um, numbers that um, when lawsuits were filed, I thought, okay, let's put that on the list. Let's tally that up. So um, this latest lawsuit uh, that the administration and the General Assembly are facing is a local issue rather than in federal court where all these other lawsuits are. Uh, but it, it essentially is the seventh um, lawsuit um, since, uh, I, I guess it's the end of session, so May 2nd, uh, which is really kind of an extraordinary number uh, in just a compounded period of time. Uh, and at that point, I, I kind of approached you, Adam, uh, thinking this was a good idea for both of us to, to yeah, work on. Yeah. And so I think what, what is important um, to say here is that we're not saying Governor Haslam blocked all litigation against um, legislation that was passed while he was governor. But what we're saying is it's it's um, 
kind of a remarkable pace of legislate or litigation lawsuits against these new laws in the first year of Governor Lee's term. We saw Governor Haslam during his eight years in office um, from time to time say, I'm opposing this bill or I'm vetoing this bill because of concerns about lawsuits, about having the state on the hook and state taxpayers on the hook for paying um, to litigate uh, these lawsuits. Uh, and we're really not seeing that from Governor Lee. He has done a lot of things, uh, Joel, as you reported, um, to kind of back away from Governor Haslam's approach to um, Governor Haslam would go to lawmakers, uh, send a letter directly and say, I'm opposing your bill, and here's why. And sometimes they would say they were opposing their bill for philosophical objections. Basically, we don't think that this is in the state's best interest. And uh, Governor Lee does not do that. He doesn't send those those letters out and has taken a, a less aggressive approach at trying to block litigation or legislation that he thinks could be problematic. Hey there. As a Tennessean podcast listener, we have a special offer just for you. Unlimited digital access to our award-winning coverage for just $1 a week. That's a whole year of the most important politics stories with over 50% in savings. To sign up, go to tennessean.com forward slash podcast. And as always, thanks for listening. I thought one of the most interesting um, elements, and, and you know, it's really inside baseball, but uh, is this whole issue of flags and, and, and notifying lawmakers uh, and even kind of using these things to say, hey, we're, we're opposed to this. So under the Haslam administration, they, they have these letters, as you, you mentioned, Adam, uh, that were sent the Lee administration first month they came in, they did away with the letters. Uh, and, and, and again, that's kind of a procedural thing. So who cares, one might say. But uh, I talked to some folks who uh, immediately said, well, without that letter, without the governor's office uh, sending that, lawmakers would just be like, well, I don't, I don't think that the governor knows what this bill is. So who are you to tell me that they're opposed to it. Uh, so that letter provided that a little bit of coverage. And then the other thing that I thought was kind of remarkable in the course of reporting, and we didn't um, quite put this in the story so clearly, uh, I talked to somebody who had said that um, uh, certain agencies were told they cannot oppose uh, legislation for philosophical reasons, that they were mandated to not use the philosophical uh, rejection of legislation, which is very different than in the Haslam years when they frequently did. Yeah, and even even outside of these official letters, these, these red flags, um, Governor Lee even in a more informal capacity, has also uh, consistently declined to comment on bills that are um, playing out in the General Assembly. So at our weekly media veils, we, um, for more than a year now, will ask the governor, hey, governor, what do you think about about X bill that's going to do X? And and the critics are saying they're going to sue the state over it, or um, you know, experts are saying it, it is not a good idea for this reason. And, and the governor's go-to answer is um, either, I haven't seen that bill, or I, I don't comment on legislation that doesn't reach my desk. Which is interesting because some bills he has commented before they reach his desk, right? And, and a lot of the times it's it's bills that he wants. Um, yeah, certainly if it's a bill he's in favor of, right. but, but when he's just asked out of the blue on a, on a bill that he may be neutral on or that he actually may not be a big fan of, um, he, he's, not, he's not really 
quick at all to, to speak out against. And I think the perfect example of that has been the Bible bill. Um, the Bible bill is very straightforward, right? It, it, it is literally makes the, the state book, the Holy Bible. Uh, I asked Governor Lee about that and he said, I haven't seen that bill. And I, I, I pushed and I said, well, it's really straightforward. Gave him the summary. Well, I still haven't seen that bill. And so it's, it's kind of like, again, in a world under Bill Haslam, he said this is unnecessary. There are constitutional concerns. Uh, and and you aren't hearing that same kind of pushback on certain pieces of legislation from the new governor. Yeah. And I think what we will have to continue watching Governor Lee to see maybe what's going on, because we don't know if this is a philosophy of his of how to interact with the General Assembly or or not. I mean, I think uh, one of the people we talked to was Craig Fitzhugh, former House minority uh, leader, who said, you know, it doesn't really seem like there's that connection between the executive and the legislative branch that we saw under Governor Haslam and previous governors, where it was more of a more plugged in. Um, of course, Governor Lee's people say, you know, we give thoughtful consideration to all legislation. So we need to just continue to watch and see how his relationship with the General Assembly plays out. I think, as he continues to get more comfortable in office. And I, I think another interesting thing to keep an eye on is how much money this is costing taxpayers. We, right now, we can't quantify it. Um, we know that the attorney general's office pays the expenses of the attorneys who are working these cases. We know that several of these cases are set to go to trial. We know that, um, uh, you know, there is a quantifiable cost. We just don't know what it is yet from the attorney general's office. And if it's somewhere in the hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars range, one might think that that is a problem for so-called fiscal conservatives uh, to be pushing legislation that will ultimately uh, um, you know, be challenged in court and then cost taxpayers Which is, money. Which is is the rhetoric you hear from the lieutenant governor who has, you know, on the on the heartbeat bill said he was opposed to that bill because not because he he wanted to see more abortions in the state, but because he did not want the state to be in a situation where they were going to have to pay the legal bills of, of the ACLU or Planned Parenthood. Um, and then he also made a comment just just the other day to you, I believe, when you were asking him about um, the privilege tax and how a number of the people who would benefit from this tax being cut live out of state and should the state just cut the tax for for residents? And he said no, because there's a question of the constitutionality of that. So it seems like, I don't know, for for some leaders in um, in, in the General Assembly and, and um, at the Capitol, that is a concern that's front of mind, Randy McNally being one of them. Um, I don't think we've heard that much from... Bill Lee, or even um, you know House Speaker Cameron Sexton about the constitutionality, the constitutionality of bills. I think Sexton told you we don't we don't pass laws worrying about lawsuits. Is essentially yeah, yeah. what he said. That was the crux of of what he had said. And and again, uh, I, I think that the general point of our piece is that there are. Republicans control both chambers of the legislature and the governor's office. Historically speaking, um, it, it's it's good to have checks and balances in government. Uh, and if the two systems in place are the executive branch and the legislative that aren't serving as checks and balances, we might see more of this kind of uh, play out in the courts. And, and another point I think it was um, Craig Fitzhugh raised was was maybe like the, the governor is just now um, getting his footing and, and maybe this will change. I, I don't know if you all got a good sense of what it was like in Haslam's first year, uh, first year and a half. Did he change 
um, how he handled that kind of thing over time. But but there is an idea that maybe Bill Lee was just trying to get into office and get used to uh, his new position. Yeah, I think we saw on the campaign trail, right, that um, Bill Lee said, I'm an outsider. That's one of my strengths. Uh, and then we're, we're hearing from our sources that maybe that could be part of the dynamic at play here is that he just isn't as familiar with the workings of government, unlike, uh, say, Governor Haslam, who came for, out of the mayor's office in Knoxville. So we'll, we'll see what happens, uh, and we'll certainly be continuing to report on on this dynamic. Well, and I think also you see the number of caption bills out there under the Lee administration. They have favored those a lot more for their individual um, legislative package uh, bills versus the Haslam administration, which, you know, by the end of the administration had was, a, as I, I heard somebody say, a well-oiled machine. So it, it, it is kind kind of hard to compare the first year to a person who had served eight years. Now, I don't think we have the historic knowledge enough between us uh, to know, you know, did Haslam stumble in these similar ways, with, whether it was caption bills or whatever in his first year. But again, I think that the, for us, the remarkable finding was that from what we can tell, at no point in one year did Governor Haslam administration or the General Assembly face uh, seven lawsuits. Thanks for coming on, Adam. We appreciate you talking about your reporting. Always fun to come by. Thanks a lot. And finally, our notebook dump. Uh, this last week, there has been a couple of news stories related to Representative Rick Staples with questions related to his residency. Uh, he apparently uh, may have been evicted from his apartment. It sounds like there is some disagreement over that issue. Uh, the Knoxville News Sentinel's Tyler Whetstone has that story and a separate story about Staples' campaign finance issues, including questions over uh, some unusual spending that he has uh, it's expected that the Registry of Election Finance, which oversees lawmakers, may take a look at the spending uh, in question. Ahead of Tennessee's March 3rd Super Tuesday presidential primary, early voting began in the state last week on Wednesday and will continue through February 25th. Uh, that, that will be for both the Democratic and Republican presidential primary races. That's it for Grand Divisions this week. As always, you can find us on Tuesdays, wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spreaker, Spotify. Please continue to rate us. This podcast is produced by John Garcia and Erica Whitney. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at Grand Divisions 3. And please send us any uh, thoughts, ideas you may have. Uh, you, A lot of people reach out to us in person, but feel free to do it via the internets. Uh, you can also email us at uh, statehouse at Tennessean.com. Uh, thanks for listening. As always, we will be back at our usual time next week. I'm Joel Ebert. And I'm Natalie Allison. See you next week. <laughs>